Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. We are going to jump into our Bible study this morning. Let me encourage you uh, to grab your Bibles and your journals and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are wrapping up our study through 1 Thessalonians, but next week we're going to continue right on into 2 Thessalonians, and then the following week will be uh, Palm Sunday and then Good Friday and Easter Sunday, so we'll be taking a little break from our uh, series in Thessalonians uh, to look at the Easter uh, Bible verses and, and themes, but uh, we are going to be wrapping up this letter, the first letter, and uh, let me just say it really is a privilege and honor to be able to open up God's Word with you every single day uh, and every single week uh, from Sunday to Sunday and in our life groups and Bible studies. I was just thinking over the last seven years that I've had the privilege to be able to serve here that we've almost taught through the entire New Testament. Uh, we've got just a couple more uh, letters to go. Uh, we've also taught through some Old Testament books uh, of the Bible as well. But uh, it really is just um, pretty, pretty remarkable when uh, we go through the scriptures and we just study it together and we let the Holy Spirit lead and guide. You know, the Bible says that it's living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and training and righteousness that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped. And so we're not, it's, it's, there's, I, I don't have any agendas. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, highlighting certain topics or themes that are, are interesting to me. It's all interesting to me, and I hope it is to you too. Uh, and I know it is because I see you come with your Bibles and uh, your faces are illuminated with uh, your mobile device. I'm sure you're reading your Bible on your mobile device. Uh, I'm sure you're not uh, doing Facebook, but uh, no, we have, we have the, the Bible on our mobile devices and just, you know, we're just digging into God's word. And, uh, you know, just to see over these past couple of weeks, uh, Paul's heart for this church that he loved dearly, but spent just a very limited time there, only uh, three weeks, and then traveled on to other places. Uh, he's written this letter because he got word back from some of the other young pastors that he appointed. And uh, he heard that they had a labor of love and a work of faith and a diligence to uh, be a part of the mission of God. They were open to God's word, and, and that was uh, making a change in their lives. And their reputation for being fervent and passionate about the things of God was not only spreading in their city, but also across the known world. And so Paul was encouraging this young church, obviously, it, there's some challenges. Paul addressed sexual immorality, uh, so purity and holiness, but uh, he also addressed some issues and warnings against, against uh, false uh, teachings that uh, weren't true to the Word of God. And so now he's kind of winding his letter down. It's very quick, um, but uh, just five chapters. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first part of chapter five, and there we studied about the return of Jesus. 
And so uh, what we're looking at today, this closing benediction that Paul gives, the benediction is kind of like a blessing or a, a final word that uh, Paul would have. It's actually in connection with the, the previous verses because we're told to be watchful for the return of Jesus, that, that Jesus' return should give us as Christians a sense of, of comfort and relief. In fact, Paul used that term twice in the previous verses to talk about how we should comfort one another with these, with these words that Jesus is returning. So Paul talked about Christian resurrection. So there's hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that um, the life that we live on planet Earth is, is not, the, it's not the finish line, that uh, there's more to come. And so mortality in life does not end our unity with Jesus. Uh, and so this brings us comfort because if Jesus was resurrected from the dead, then he gives us the power and the victory over death and over sin. And so we experience resurrection as well. So Paul talked about that, but he also talked about the specifics of Christ's manifestation or of, of his appearing, that it'll be sudden and we should be ready. And then he finishes by talking about God's salvation. That God is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. That God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is in connection with John 3.16, which God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but that through Jesus Christ the world might be saved. So there's not condemnation for those anymore who are in Christ Jesus. So we've been appointed to obtain salvation. And how does that happen? Through, by grace through faith you have been saved, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of work, so that no one can boast. So this is a continuation into this closing benediction and talking about how not only are we to be watchful for the return of Jesus, but we should also be respectful to those who are spiritual leaders. We should be helpful within the church. We should also be prayerful and thankful uh, as well, careful. So there's these themes that continue on as Paul finishes up. But the uh, point that we want to remember today, or just kind of the context of these verses, is that Paul is going to give several exhortations in his uh, final benediction. And these exhortations, in fact, he uses a couple words. One is urge, exhort, encourage, as well as admonish. And I think that they all share similarities, but there are so some differences as well. Encouragement is, there's some compassion and tenderness. But admonishing, uh, there comes a little bit of a discipline and correction as well with um, exhortation there uh, and, and urging. There's, an ur there's, a, there's a seriousness to what Paul is trying to communicate. And just a very simple outline uh, for us. One is that Paul's going to outline the rules for a healthy church. What does it look like to have a healthy congregation, a healthy church? Uh, secondly, we're going to see that Paul reassures the church of God's faithfulness and uh, that God is faithful, what he has started to complete in our lives. And then thirdly, we're going to see Paul's request in his hopefulness. What does Paul hope the church to do uh, in his absence? So uh, jumping in here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, Paul says, we urge you, Brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Everyone say recognize. So we're told that uh, the church is to recognize spiritual leaders and to esteem them 
very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. Now everyone say esteem. So these are the two things that the church does uh, towards their uh, spiritual leaders, and that is to recognize and esteem. But on the other side of the coin, we are told what spiritual leaders are to do as well. And so he says, now I exhort you in verse 14, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. And then in verse 16, through these verses, you might be familiar with them, but they're just wonderful, quick, short little verses, but there's a lot to it, and they're very challenging and encouraging. Rejoice always. Everyone say rejoice. Rejoice. Pray without ceasing. Now say pray. Pray. Give thanks. Everyone say give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, that's the second time Paul used that phrase. This is the will of God. Many times we're praying and asking God, what is your will? What is your plan? I can say unequivocally today that God's will and plan for your life is that you and I would rejoice always, pray unceasingly, and give thanks in all circumstances. Yeah, that's pretty simple, right? If we can just keep it right there, then we see God perform and do those works in our lives that uh, he's doing. So these are the things that we do, right? We rejoice always. We pray without ceasing. We give thanks. Now there's a couple of things that we don't do. And those are do not quench the Holy Spirit. The idea is if you've ever, you know, done a fire in your fireplace or camping, you know that a fire, you need to tend to it. And you start off with small little kindling, little small pieces of wood, and you, you build and you and uh, the, the fire starts off small, but it, it builds and, and grows big. So uh, you can smother a fire by putting too much uh, you know, fuel on it, but you can also neglect a fire if you just walk away from it. So there's this, this balance between uh, feeding the fire and nurturing and tending to it, in the same sense for the Holy Spirit. We can neglect the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives or in the church or through the word of God, but we can also smother it by uh, taking control and doing things our own way. And so Paul says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. This is another way of saying um, don't uh, become complacent when it comes to the, the things of God or the teachings of God. Sometimes when we hear things over and over again, we hear a Bible study or we listen to a podcast or we read a verse. Uh, maybe if you've been walking with God for some time, you, you've heard it all before. And we tend to tune out. And we're not as, as sincere or as, as attentive to the word of God as, as we once was. And so that's a sense of despising or becoming apathetic or, or doubting or, or even rejecting God's word and God's prophecies. So he says, don't despise that. And I find that interesting because um, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is to remind us of the words of Christ. And so we are drawn back to the word of God and we're told that the natural man or woman cannot understand the things of, of God or of his word because they are spiritually discerned. And so we need the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us into all truth and righteousness. And so Paul says in connection with the Spirit as well as the prophecy and the teaching, we need both. And how do we do that? Well, it's in verse 21, test all things. Whatever you hear, whatever you hear me say, whatever you hear another pastor says, whatever you hear on TV or uh, wherever, 
We should go back to the word of God and test it. It's kind of like the Bereans in the book of Acts who they would hear these things from the Peace, uh, from the preachers and the pastors and, and the ministers who would travel around and they would say, well, let's go back to the scriptures and see what the Bible has to say about that. So that establishes a moral truth and a moral standard. It's kind of the idea of an absolute truth. And nowadays, there's less absolute truth and more relative truth. A truth of what I'm constructing. Well, what's true for me is not true for you. And just you stay... You stay with your truth and I'll stay with my truth and we'll be okay. Well, that's a problem because Paul says that we should warn people, not in a sense of condemning people, but we should warn, you know, the word unruly means that someone who is out of order, someone who is not in line and not in line or out of order with God's word. And so uh, there's this truth that we can go back and test all things that we see and hear. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We'll just pause there and note kind of these rules that Paul gives us uh, for the wellness or the healthiness of any church. Uh, and it kind of reads like a, like a bullet point, right? I mean, he moves from one thing to the next. And he begins with the leaders. Notice that? He begins by saying a healthy church flows from its leaders. Those who... Uh, are laboring in the work of love towards others. Uh, he uses this phrase of, of laboring among you as well as those who are over you and those who admonish. Now, a couple of things. One is that uh, we're told to recognize. Now, how do you recognize a spiritual leader? Uh, some people want the recognition from other people. They just want to be up in front. and They just want a position or a title. And they want recognition. They want to be highly esteemed. Uh, they want a good reputation from other people. But Paul said multiple times in this letter and elsewhere that if he was still trying to please men or people, he would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to be a servant of all. That the hypocrites and the religious leaders, they lord over other people, but it, not, it shall not be so among you. And so there's a different form of recognition for other people. So this is what... Uh, what we do towards our, our leaders, we recognize them, we acknowledge them. And what are, we, are, what are we acknowledging? We're acknowledging their labor of love. First is we recognize, the second is we esteem. We hold them in, um, in high regard, in love, uh, because of their work and because of their ministry. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, servant leaders and spiritual leaders uh, from time to time can be underappreciated and undervalued. But uh, that's because of the heart that they have for people. And ministry is about people. It's not about programs. You know, ministry is about what you can, it's not what you can get out of people. It's what you can make them into. And the Bible says that those who serve in ministry uh, are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And this word labor among you is the same word that Paul used in the first chapter, talking about the church had a labor of love. It was wearisome. It was, it was, uh, there was, uh, it was burdensome. It was toilsome. There was heartache in, involved in the ministry. But where was that ministry taking place? It was among people. And so a great spiritual leader is one who is among the people, one who is accessible, one who is modeling their lives and living their lives, not in hypocrisy, but open, op, being open and transparent with other people, who is right there in the trenches, 
carrying the work and the burden of ministry. Now, that's not to say we carry that burden on ourselves because Jesus says, if, if uh, anyone who is weary and heavy burden, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. But just, you know, I mean, uh, from personal experience in 20 years in uh, pastoral ministry, that from time to time and season to season and person to person and moment to moment, ministry can be very burdensome. And so for us to recognize the labor of the servants and of the ministers, Paul says this is healthy, this is needed, this is encouraged. And not only do they labor, but uh, they all are also over you in the Lord. Now, you might think that's kind of opposite what Jesus said. Now, Paul's not talking about the uh, abuse of power in this phrase. He's talking about the influence that a leader has in people's lives. And as, in, as influence in leadership, it calls us to live examples for other people to see the consistency between the words that we speak as well as the life that we live. And no one is perfect. Uh, even leaders are going to fail us. They're, they're, you're gonna, the closer you get to a, a leader, um, the more cracks you're going to see in their armor uh, or in their personality or, or in their character. And that's okay. I'm not afraid of that because it points us back to the one who is perfect. And so, but it speaks to the fact of, of uh, the influence that they have in our lives and the influence for good. This is how we recognize uh, those and this is how we esteem them and those who admonish now admonish is a little different word than exhort and encourage it's kind of the sense of of correction uh, you know it's interesting I'll have conversations with people from time to time after service and they'll say were you talking about me today in service uh, and uh, they'll say you know I noticed you looked at me when uh, you were sharing that verse or making that point and I said, well, what do you want me to do? Just close my eyes when I preach? Uh, maybe I'll do that, but that'll probably be even weirder. Uh, and, you know, just so you know, I, I'm not pinpointing anybody or looking at anybody. I have to just scan the room uh, and uh, make, I want to make eye contact with you. Uh, but the pulpit should never be a place where you pound people. It should never be that place. And like I said in the beginning, uh, as we go through the word of God, there's going to be these things that come up. And I'm sorry if I make eye contact with you uh, when, we, when that comes up. Maybe just chalk it up to the Holy Spirit speaking to you in your heart and in your life. And if you want to talk about it afterwards, great. That's good. We'll pray about it. But that's the admonishing, right? Sometimes we need that correction. We need the Holy Spirit to say, oh, yeah, I'm not quite right in this area. And sometimes that comes through a leader or a pastor or a, a ministry leader who is speaking truth in love. And that is, should be um, received and appreciated as well as acknowledged. So it's healthy for a church to have leaders who are laboring, who are working, who are admonishing, uh, as well as um, who have a work for their work's sake, it says as well. It's hard work. Ministry is very hard work. So but we should also have a church. A healthy church is one in which the congregation and the body are acknowledging and blessing and appreciating and expressing in love their esteem and their great appreciation for uh, their leaders. And then he says at the end, be at peace among yourselves. And I think this is great because uh, not only do, are we encouraged to be peacemakers, 
but this also is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you just from personal experience that a flock that is peaceful makes for a pastor that is grateful. When the flock of God, when the church of God is at peace, when they're peaceful, when they're seeking the word, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm, I don't mean perfect, but I mean uh, when we're seeking the Lord and there's unity, but the opposite, when there's disgruntled people, when there's agendas, when there are murmurings and backbitings and complainings. You know, I've read the scriptures and I don't see anywhere that the, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the critical spirit. I just haven't seen that anywhere. Uh, and so uh, sometimes we have that. Uh, but there's this sense of peace among the flock. And when there's peace, if, if, if we're to pursue peace and be peacemakers and to have uh, the peace of God that rules in our hearts uh, as well as the peace of the Holy Spirit, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, then I'll tell you what, it just makes my heart, my shepherd heart, so much grateful, so grateful. Uh, when, when that's happening. Um, the opposite is true. It really keeps me up at night. Uh, I don't sleep well. I worry. I strategize. I think, what do I need to do? And uh, there's a lot of mental and spiritual anguish and stress that goes into caring and nurturing and ministering and discipling and loving people, and that's good and that's okay. But uh, the more peace we can have, um, the, the more peace we give to the good shepherd, right? It's not about making me peaceful. <laughs> it's about making our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, grateful, right, as he walks among us. So spiritual leaders, what are we told about this? Spiritual leaders should be exceedingly appreciated by all of us. Why? Not because of their title or their position, but because of their servant lifestyle. And if that's the case, encourage your leaders because they tend to be underappreciated. Well, then they feel that way, maybe, from time to time, underappreciated or, or even undervalued. Appreciate them for their work and labor. But then we're also told that we should be helpful. Here's another uh, wellness check for the church. Notice, warn those who unruly comfort the faint-hearted uphold the weak. I find it interesting that when we come together in a group like this, there's so many different needs represented. And, and I know that the Holy Spirit knows those needs and the Good Shepherd knows those needs. But there are some people uh, in this room that are unruly. Ooh, ooh well, let's find out who they are. No. Uh, well, I know that to be the fact because I'm talking about myself. Okay, there you go, right there. We'll just put it all on me today. But uh, I'm unruly from time to time. As I mentioned earlier, it's a military term. It means that uh, it's out of order or out of line. When, when you look down the line and you see everything is straight, but there's one person who's off the line. And that's being unruly. And so sometimes there are things in our lives where we're rule breakers. We're out of line. We're out of order with the word of God. And we're told and instructed and encouraged. Notice, this isn't to the pastors. It's to the people. As in, in a fellowship, in a healthy congregation, we have a love and a concern for people who are outside of the bounds and the order of God and his word, not in a critical spirit, not in a judgmental spirit, but in an encouraging and exhorting way, brother or sister, let me show you, let me help you, because when I, when I lived unruly, it didn't turn out really well. 
Let me help you. Let me encourage you to warn those who, you would warn somebody who is driving off, going towards a cliff. You would warn somebody who's going to go swim in the ocean uh, near Imperial Beach after it's rained for an entire week. You would, you would warn somebody about, you know, if there's a great white shark sighting, yeah, you probably shouldn't go swimming today, right? There's some just common sense, just sincere concern for other people, and that can happen in our congregation and in our fellowship, to warn the unruly. But there's also people in this room who are faint-hearted. And what do we do? We comfort the faint-hearted. You know, that word means to be timid and weak. You just feel like giving up. You're at your wit's end. You, don't, you can't go any further. You want to throw in the towel. And there's so much good that God does in, in our midst and in our lives when we worship, when we fellowship, when we come to church, when we open up God's word, when we encourage one another. That there's somebody in this room, potentially even today, who feels faint-hearted. And let me encourage you that there is a ton of comfort from God. That God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our sorrows and troubles. You do not need to give up. Uh, there are people around you who love you, who care for you, who want to pray for you and, and help you. That God's comfort is available. And oftentimes, the, the most palpable part of God's comfort comes through the physical touch of another person. And when they come alongside us, as we're told the, we're, that we should um, comfort the faint-hearted but uphold the weak. The weak means to be feeble or even sick. There's a, just a, a, a lack of, of strength in their lives. And to uphold somebody means to come alongside them. It's kind of like uh, the three-legged race, if you ever did that where you put your arm around somebody and you strap your legs together and you literally move as one. And your strength is upholding and strengthening the weakness of the other and vice versa. And so that makes for a healthy church. A healthy church where we're encouraged, uh, encouraging one another around the truth of God's word and we're convicted and admonished and challenged when we're out of line but we're also comforting and upholding and building up one another. This is what makes for a healthy church, but also what makes for a healthy church are a couple other things. To rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in everything. I see everywhere, every time, everything. That's what I see. Sounds like a movie that just came out, but uh, everywhere, every time, everything, right? This is the spiritual side of it. When we pray, uh, when we rejoice. Now, what does that mean? We rejoice no matter the circumstances or the um, uh, or the situation. We pray no matter the occasion, and we give thanks uh, no matter our feelings. Doesn't it's not based upon our external circumstances. Uh, we were I was meeting with a couple of uh, men in our, our church who are going through a one-year discipleship. In fact, next week we're going to have them come on up and we're going to pray over them because they're, uh, they're seeking God for pastoral ministry as interns in the ministry. And so we're meeting with them in this last uh, week. We were talking about um, uh, theology and the Trinity and uh, the characteristics and the attributes of God. He's just all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-loving, infinite, immutable, unchanging, right? Just, holy, pure, all these things. And, and then we realize, wow, if God, if this is who God is, then this should impact how we respond to him. 
And the relationship that he desires to have with us just is mind-blowing. And so it causes us to have joy, to rejoice. No matter the circumstance or the situation, we can always uh, praise God in the pain, in what is going on around us. But, uh, you know, we we see uh, not only rejoicing, but praying in every moment. I'll tell you what, just being honest, prayer is not the first thing that I I resort to when it comes to situations. But we, we can just pause anywhere. I just love whenever I'm having a spiritual conversation or a turn spiritual Actually, maybe it doesn't even have to be spiritual. If I'm talking to somebody who I don't even know and maybe even a neighbor and they talk, they're, they're sharing some heartache or some pain, we can respond, you know, I'm a Christian and, and I've been through situations like that. And when I experience that type of trauma or pain, I like to pray. Do you mind if I pray for you? I have never met somebody who in that conversation said, no, you can't pray for me. They always are open to praying. So you can pray. Pray without ceasing. Now we pray when things are going bad. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, I need the money. Oh, God, open that door. Oh, God, you know, we're just, we're really flooding the the throne room of heaven with our prayers. And that's okay. That's all right. God knows there's going to be some ups and downs in our prayer life. But pray without ceasing in all situations and occasions. And to give thanks. I like what Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher and pastor, had to say. About this verse, he said, When joy and prayer are married, their, for, their firstborn child is gratitude. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. When joy and prayer are married, when those two things come together, when there's a union between joy and prayer, their child produces gratitude, thankfulness, and gratitude for the Lord. I think there's many things that we can Uh, Be grateful to the Lord for when it comes to acknowledging his faithfulness, his goodness, his love, his mercy, right, his compassion. So these are things just kind of going down. A healthy church, a healthy Christian, a healthy follower of Jesus, praying without ceasing, rejoicing, always giving thanks. For this is the will of God. Wow, that's pretty remarkable. Just keep it simple, right? God's will for my life. If we do these things, the Bible says we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do these things, I think God will take care of the rest, right? He will make sure that all those other things fall into place, that we're in line with his purpose and plan. And do not quench the Spirit. I mentioned a couple of ways in which that happens. It's very important that the Holy Spirit lead and guide and is moving freely in the church. Uh, He's been given to us for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's been given to us as the comforter and the counselor. He's been given to us uh, to lead and to guide us. So we don't want to quench. We don't want to neglect. We don't want to doubt. We don't want to be indifferent. We can ignore the Holy Spirit or even discourage the work of the Holy Spirit in other people. We don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. We want to tend to the work of the Holy Spirit gently, uh, gently allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work in our lives, but not walking away as well. God, what do you have for me? How are you leading me uh, through your word to test all things? So this makes for a healthy church. Those leaders who are modeling humility and Christ-likeness in the way that they labor and admonish and serve and love us, as well as a church congregation that is appreciating and praying for and esteeming those leaders who are doing these things with love and gratefulness and a congregation that is prayerful, 
thankful, helpful, and careful when it comes to the things of the Lord. So uh, this, I pray, that is continuation of our church as well. Well, we'll just kind of wrap up with a couple of other thoughts here. Look at verse 23. Paul closes here. Now may the God of peace, the God of peace. There's another attribute and characteristic of God. He's peace. The God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Notice it's God who does the work of sanctification. We've talked about a lot about that in our um, study through First Thessalonians, how it is God's will that our sanctification and holiness. Sometimes we think, wow, how is that going to happen? Or I got to do these things. Well, yes, we get ourselves in an environment and in a situation or in a circumstance in which uh, God can produce that type of fruit in our lives. But it is God who is doing the work. Otherwise, it would be our work. There's a, some wonderful verses that said, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So it is God who is producing the work. God himself will sanctify you. We don't sanctify ourselves. It is God who sanctifies. The idea is being set apart for him, being made holy completely. Notice the set, being set apart and sanctified is completely. So it's fully and holy. And uh, that's just a lifelong process of God Uh, changing us and molding us. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned that the end of every single chapter in 1 Thessalonians is a reference to the return of Christ. And here is the end of chapter 5, that reference. But uh, we're told here in this verse there's a spirit, soul, and body. But we're also told in other verses that we should love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what we're getting at is our entire being. All that we are, God, you just have control of my life. If God is sovereign, then we can trust him. We can rely upon him. And uh, we know that he's going to work all things out for our good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he who began this work is faithful to complete it. So notice a couple of phrases of God. He is the God of peace, but then look in verse 24. He's also the faithful God. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. It's God doing the work that he's sanctifying us, being set apart. God is the one who orchestrates our sanctification, the process of fully and wholly being made like Jesus. And that takes place in the purifying sense uh, that God intends every level of our lives to be wholly consecrated to him, pure, pure. And holy to him. Every level. Notice it says body, soul, and spirit. Mind, soul, and strength as well. All these areas uh, that the scripture says that we should offer our bodies uh, as living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable to God. Which is our reasonable act of worship and service to him. So Paul is bringing the church back to remember all of these aspects that he spoke of in his letter. So that we could... Be sanctified, purified, glorified, and then God certifies that this work is going to be done. He's the faithful one that you can count on God's hand in whatever he calls you to handle. Whatever he calls you to handle and touch and to deal with and to work on in your life and in your work and in your family and in your marriage and in your home, whatever God calls you to handle, You can count on the hand of God to strengthen you. 
You can count on the hand of God to uphold you. You can count on the hand of God to guide you. And then he ends with three very simple requests. Notice um, in verse uh, 25, Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So first Paul asks for this continued partnership. He says, would you pray for me? Notice he doesn't go into the details. And I think it's pretty cool because the Lord knows uh, what Paul needs. And Paul's not alone, actually. He says, pray for us. You have to go back to the first verse of chapter 1 to see who us is. It's Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and probably a slew of other people who are working with Paul and serving and ministering alongside. Pray for us. One is you can pray for your leaders, your pastors, and your elders, and your deacons, and your ministers. Pray for them. They need a ton of prayer, a lot of prayer, a lot of encouragement, right? Uh, So pray for us. Notice Paul says, God will lead you, God will guide you in what you need to pray for. So that was his first request. The prayer connects the petitions of others with the provision of God. And uh, there's so many requests and so many needs in people's lives, God knows. And he's going to connect those provisions as uh, the saying goes, uh, where God guides, God provides. And uh, where God leads, God feeds. And so um, as God is guiding you, we can pray for the provision that takes place in other people's lives. And then he says, uh, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I don't want to see a lot of kissing going on after the service today. Uh, especially if you're single, you're like, well, Pastor Sherwood said, hey, hey, I think there's some justification to this holy kiss. I don't know. If it's with my daughters, you're going you're gonna to meet something else. There's going to be a little, there's, there's going to be a holy punch included with the holy kiss. A little holy around the neck sort of thing. I don't know. But uh, so he's not talking about intimacy. He's talking about just affection. And cultures in this time, you would kiss one another on the cheek. One on the left, one on the right, greeting. Don't get too close. Like I tell my daughters, leave room for the Holy Spirit. You got to just right there. We need actually, and, and also room for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right in between. Just, and hopefully none of those boys are named Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. We don't want that. So uh, this is just, this is, this is fellowship. Paul's hope for the church is that there would be a spirit of prayer and that there would be a spirit of genuine affection and, God, and a godly attitude in the church. Encourage one another, fellowship with one another, uh, partner together with one another uh, in prayer. And then lastly, notice he says, I want you to read my letter. So here's uh, accountability, right? I want you to get in to the scriptures. I want you to read together. And uh, I want you to be encouraged. Personal accountability takes place in the mutual responsibility that we have in the church for spiritual maturity, right? We have a mutual responsibility to hold one another accountable in spiritual maturity. And we do that, I love because week to week now, we're meeting in homes and here on the church uh, for our life groups, we're reading God's word, we're encouraging one another, we're, we're following up and holding one another accountable, not in a, a weird way, but just in a loving way. Yeah, how did that speak to you? And what is God showing you? And, and how are you growing in God's word? This is that personal accountability. He said, I want you to read this so that, so that 
Some people don't just abuse it and twist it and manipulate it, this letter, for their own personal gain. I want you to read all the whole counsel. Just read it all and get it out all in the open so that we can all grow, so that we can all learn, and so that we can all study. And so uh, just kind of wrapping all of this back up together as our worship team comes on up and leads us in a closing song, just traveling through this letter, Paul encouraging the church for their great work of, of, of love and their faith and their encouragement for one another. It does not end when Paul ends this letter. He comes full circle, ties a bow on all of these themes, but also as a good pastor says, you know what, we're not perfect in this yet, so I want you and I'm urging you and I'm admonishing you that uh, Christ's future return, right? He's been focusing in on this future return of Jesus, that Christ's future return should impact our present routines, our routines of life, how we're living right now, should be impacted as we are watchful for the return of Jesus, as we are respectful for the leaders in our lives, as we are helpful in the church for those who are weak, those who are faint-hearted, those who are unruly, as we're prayerful and thankful and rejoicing, rejoiceful uh, Always in whatever circumstance, as we're careful to be close to the Lord. Why? What's all this? What's the purpose of all this? Because God is producing sanctification and holiness and purity. So, one step further today for all of us in this room and for all those who are joining online, for maybe even if you're listening to this podcast in your car driving on the freeway, for all of us, we're one step closer today, having studied His Word having read his letter, having been encouraged, having been challenged and admonished, one step closer in being more like Jesus Christ. So I know, however, that this next week and the activities and the duties and the responsibilities, they're going to challenge that. So rejoice always this week. Pray continually and give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is living and active. We thank you, Lord, that we don't need someone to look around the room and look us in the eye, although it's nice and encouraging in a relationship. But we know that your eye, your eye, roams to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for whom you can prove yourself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to you. You are not looking at the outward. You're looking at the inside. You're looking at the heart. And I pray as we sing this song and close down our service today and uh, move on to fellowship and, and, uh, and the rest of our week, I pray, Lord, that you'd allow us to experience the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Draw close to you. We thank you for those who are, are laboring among us, who put in the hard work of studying and preaching and preparing and serving and ministering, who visit us in the hospitals and in our homes, who travel and drive uh, throughout the night or in, uh, in, in many miles to, to minister and to love, who, who can't get us off of their mind and off of their heart when they go to bed at night or uh, when they know that there's heartache and, and, and brokenness who agonize 
over the afflictions that are upon us as people. Would you encourage them? Would you fill them? Would you strengthen them to continue on in the work? We thank you that they're not doing the work so that they can be esteemed by others. But we pray you just fill their tank, fill their tank as they, as, as they, as they run their tank empty for us. Help us, Lord, to draw close to you. God, we love you. Help us to practice this lifestyle of holiness. Draw upon your strength to be made holy in you. Help us to promote this type of love and compassion through the fellowship and discipleship of our church in the children's ministry, in the women's ministry, in the men's ministry, in the, the students' ministry, in our outreach ministry, in our life group, home fellowship ministries, in all of our ministries as we gather in fellowship. May we be discipled closer to you. Strengthen those today who feel like just, just giving up, just giving up. Thank you that you uphold us and you strengthen us. We love you, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.